Turn in your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. The 8th chapter of Romans. Romans is the 6th book of the New Testament. So you go from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts to Romans. It's written to the believers in Rome during the lifetime of Paul. He was involved in ministry throughout the Roman Empire. And he wrote this very special letter to them. And it is a masterpiece of literature, I believe, for the Christian. And Romans chapter 8 is like uh, one of the best chapters in the book. Verse 18, Paul writes to the Roman church, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, <clears throat> they lived during the days of the Roman Empire, and it was brutal. Can you say brutal? For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Can we say futility? futility? Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also would be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Can we say groans? Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You don't hope that you have a chair to sit in if you're sitting in one. You might be hoping for your lazy boy back at home, and that is coming, I'm sure. But you hope for the things you don't yet have. Look at verse 20 again. The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. All is futile, Captain. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, how to have hope when all seems futile. Can we say that together? There's five often forgotten truths that I want to remind you of. For some, this may sound like some new weird doctrine, but I'm telling you it's been in the Bible for centuries. It's been there. It's part of Orthodox Christianity. This is not some unusual doctrine. But five things that are true that we don't sing and shout about these necessarily, all of them, some of them, I think. Number one, everything. Can we say everything? Everything, everything is subjected to futility so that we will need to hope. Verse 20, the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. If nothing is futile, then why would we need to hope for a Savior? Right? So God allows us to reap the consequences of our action. He allows us to live in an imperfect world so that we'll see our need for a Savior. Jesus said it like this, the sick need a physician. 
And if we were perfect in every way, why would we need God? Number two, everything is futile so that man will see his need for a Savior. God has allowed this to be true. Number three, God has done this for the eternal benefit of all who turn to him. According to the scriptures, we are being conformed. We've been predestined from the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of God's son. We are all on a journey to be made like Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God. So if, there, if everything we ever hoped for came to pass and we had no need to have hope, had no need to have any faith, had no need to look to God for his help, we would just be separated from him for eternity. And so God has made it so that we'll see our need for him. Number four, the power of his Holy Spirit works to help us in our weaknesses. Verse 26 says... Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groaning which cannot be uttered. So the earth is groaning and wanting redemption from this futility state in which we are in. We are groaning and longing for redemption and the glorious liberty of the sons of God. The older I get, the more I groan for the redemption of this body. And the Holy Spirit of God himself is groaning, yearning for that day. But the day is not here yet. We're we're living in the now, but not yet. I think Shannon preached to us the other day. Living now, but in the not yet. Looking forward to that which is to come. The redemption of the human race. The redemption of our bodies. The redemption of creation. The renewing of the earth. We're looking forward to that day. But between now and then, the Holy Spirit, who longs for that day too, is helping us to endure. Helping us to change. Helping us to have the strength we need to follow Jesus. Are you glad about it? Number five. He, meaning God, is working all things out for His good and eternal purpose. Verse 27 says, He who searches the minds knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things, can we say all things? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And it goes on to tell us what that calling is, and it's to be made like Jesus. It goes into what we've been foreordained to do. Romans opens with God allowing futile consequences from humanity's rejection of him. Romans 8, what we just read, kind of focuses on the futility, but Romans chapter 1 gets more into the details of why. So if you don't mind turning there while I read you this statement. Please keep in mind that I am sharing these things today not for the purpose of whining about our world's wickedness, but to recognize the truth about it as well as our hope and function within it. The world's wicked. If you don't believe it, check your newspaper. Yes, even the Hood County News. Romans chapter 1. Let's look at verse 20 says, for since the creation of the world, his, meaning God's invisible attributes, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, meaning the world, 
the context there, speaking of the world, are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile. There's that word. People on their own became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we refuse to acknowledge the reality of God in our life and live with a desire to respect Him and His will, it can make us vulnerable to darkness. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. You check out the history of the world as man rejected God and embraced idolatry, all sorts of weird worship came into being. Today we see a lot of self-worship. Verse 24, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. When we say God gave them up, God gave them up to vile passions. Why does God allow sin in the world? You know, some people say, if there's a God, why can't everybody go to heaven? And if there's a God, why does he allow wickedness in the world? Well, you can't have your cake and eat it. If everybody's going to heaven, we have earth too. Think about it. If everybody like they are is going to heaven, heaven will be just like earth. And if there was no wickedness in the earth, then the earth would be heaven. Right? So God allows man free will. He allows us in hopes that we will come to an end of ourselves and see our need for a Savior. And during this season, he's making for himself a people. They're here to serve his purpose, be a light for his glory to those that don't know him. And so he allows man to go his own way in the futility of their thoughts. He allows them. It's futile to think you can legislate morality. It's futile. Remember when we outlawed alcohol in the 20th century? You remember that? It was futile. Tell man don't, he will. We can test it right now. If I tell you, don't you dare think of a pink elephant. I don't want anybody here even picturing a pink elephant in your mind. It is a sin to think of a pink elephant. You're just going to do it because of your imagination. Some of you will because of your rebellion. For this reason, God gave them up. Is this because he doesn't want them? No, he loves them. He cares for them. He sent his son to die for us. But to bring us to a place of seeing we need help, we need salvation, he gives us enough rope to hang ourselves. He allows us to come to an end of ourselves. Is there anybody here that got saved because everything in your life was going perfect? No. We reap the consequences of our sin. We see we need a Savior. Now, I think there probably are some people, you were just so good, you were sensitive to the hunger in your heart to know your Creator. You could see in creation there's more to this life than just happenstance. i got to find out why. And just a thirst for knowledge led you to the Savior. That's true. But even in that case, it was your lack of knowledge that caused you to see you needed a Savior, right? It was your recognition of your weakness that saw your need for strength. 
So we all come to an end of ourselves one way or the other, seeing we need salvation if we're going to become a believer. Otherwise, nobody would. So God gave mankind up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Now, I'm not going to preach on homosexuality today. I have done so three times. And if you want to know where I stand on that issue, go to the website. I don't want to mess with it again. And I've written about it in my blog. So go to the website and check it out if you want to know where I stand. But this exchanging women, exchanging the natural use for what is against nature goes beyond lesbianism. It even goes beyond bestiality. This lady here, 36 years old, married herself in a commitment ceremony last March, has now spoken about her self-marriage in an interview with Anderson Cooper. The marriage took place among friends and family who were encouraged to blow kisses to the world after she exchanged rings with her inner groom. I feel very empowered, very happy, very joyous. I want to share that with people and also the people that were in attendance. It's a form of accountability, Nadian Swigert told Anderson Cooper. Oh, come on, Pastor. That's just an isolated case. You know, you can't use this to illustrate what Romans 1 says. Really? Well, we have a second case. This is Ms. Chin Wai in Taiwan. She married herself November 9th of 2010, the BBC reported. So she was actually the first. Verse 26 again. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. All right, just in case, I'm an exhorter and I'll get on one thing and beat it to death. I think you got the point. But just in case one person thinks maybe I'm just being narrow-minded about this vile passions thing. And I've got one more example to help drive the point home. This is Erica, 37-year-old former soldier who now lives in San Francisco. She has been in love with objects before her first infatuation. She is fond of the Berlin Wall, and she claims to have a physical relationship with a piece of fence she keeps in her bedroom. But it is the Eiffel Tower that she pledged to love, honor, and obey in an intimate ceremony attended by a handful of friends. She went to Paris had the ceremony, I don't know who the minister was, and changed her name legally to reflect the bond. Her name is now Erica Eiffel. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged a natural use for what is against nature. What in the world is going on in our world? I'm wanting to equip you so that you don't fall into the trap of being one of those right-wing whiners who doesn't do anything at all to help better the world, but complain. We want to recognize the fact there's a problem in the world and it's futile to make laws to stop this kind of stuff. Verse 27, back to the text. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves a penalty of their error, which was due. Diseases continue to be spread. This man murdered his wife in 1990. He's 63 years old. His last name is Kosilek. 
Massachusetts has filed an appeal of a judge's decision to grant this convicted murderer's request for a taxpayer-funded sex change surgery. The Boston Globe reports that in the papers filed last Tuesday, lawyers for the State Department of Corrections Commissioner asked for a stay of the order granting a sex change for now, he was, he was Robert Kosolek, he's now Michelle Kosolek, until a federal appeals court can rule. The state says it believes the medical care the 63-year-old is receiving is adequate and that the court didn't address what it says are legitimate safety concerns for protecting this person in prison. They don't know what to do with him if they do a sex change. Which prison do they send this person to? Having killed his wife 22 years ago, he's playing games with the system. U.S. District Judge Mark Wolf ruled last month that surgery is the only adequate treatment for Kosalik's gender identity disorder. Kosalik was named Robert when convicted of killing his wife Cheryl in 1990. Now here's... Here's the laws that are being used. It is unjust to deny medical treatment to a prisoner. And the judges ruled that this is necessary medical treatment so this man can become a woman. Now his lawyers are asking to pay more than $800,000 in legal fees that pays for their services that got this judge to say what he said. Can we say futility? You're going to begin to see this kind of thing more and more, and you can just get angry and rant and rave and foam at the mouth and become upset and not walk in the purpose and peace with which God has called us to. So my purpose today isn't to make a social commentary on the woes of America, but to call the church to recognize that God has allowed this. He has not caused it. He's allowed man to go his own way to show us the ridiculousness of things we come to as a people when we don't have him ruling our life. This isn't to make us sink into the dismal pits of despair, but just to recognize, hey, there's a problem. And... In the next 20 years or so, there's going to be children that need help. There's going to be people that get sick of this, say, I need some truth in my life. I need some salvation. I need redemption. There's a groaning in my heart, yearning for something more. And if we're angry and complaining all the time, they're not going to come to us. Oh, she's angry all the time. Oh, he's just mad all the time. We can make a decision today. Lord, I recognize that. All is futile in the world. Without you, there is no telling what's going to happen. We need you. We're still here for some reason. So you have a purpose for us. Verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do these things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This was speaking of the world in Paul's day. If it was true then, 
how much more true today. I have a book called The Good Old Days Weren't So Good. You know, when we remember the past, we whitewash it and just remember the good things. But I'm telling you, you read the history of this nation, there may have been some Christian founders involved, but it wasn't totally Christian. Britain shipped over shiploads of prisoners to come here. Do you mind if I'm Christian politically incorrect today? Man has always needed a Savior, and without Jesus, there is a mess on our hands. Granberry, a hundred years ago, in the 18th century, the end of the 18th century, there was 30 saloons in Granberry. The square was not a fit place for a woman to be by herself. Yes, our innocent little old town was a cesspool. Oh, I thought it was dry. Oh, they would pass laws to make it dry, and six months later, new laws would be passed to make it wet. It was a constant tug-of-war. During the days of Prohibition, that woman, Carrie, what was her last name? She made a visit to Granberry. Yeah, to Granberry. So if God can turn this town around, He can turn our nation around, He can turn the world around, but it's not going to be without Him. And us seeing the darkness as an opportunity to shine the light. When is light most obvious? When it's most dark. Turn your cell phones on. Greg, if you could turn off all the lights. Does everybody got their cell phones on right now? Do you see any difference? Not much difference. All right, just hold them up. We don't see much difference. All right, turn the lights out. You see how much more obvious they become? Very obvious. Turn it back on. As the lights in this culture begin to be turned off, the church is going to become bright. Beware of putting your hopes, all your hopes, in politics. Beware of it. Can I just make everybody mad? Beware of putting your faith in a man who believes God lives on the planet Kolob. Beware of putting your faith in a man who believes God is not Almighty God because he used to be a man, meaning there's actually another God they don't know about. Beware. Beware of putting your faith in who lives in the White House. It's who lives in this house that makes the difference. Who rules and reigns in this house. I'm reading a book called The Ten Second Rule. It's a book about obedience to Jesus. It's an amazing little book. It's basically this approach to life. When you see a need, take 10 seconds and think, Jesus, would it be reasonable that you would have me to do something about this? If it seems reasonable he'd have you something to do about it, then you don't have to hear an audible voice. Go ahead and obey him. And the book is full of story after story after story of adventures of, for people who were bored with their Christian life. Adventures that the Lord takes them on by serving their fellow man, making the world a better place for that person and for that person and for that person. Oh, but it's too big. You remember the story of the starfish? Thousands of starfish were washed up on the shore and a guy was throwing them back in the ocean as fast as he could. And somebody said, man, the sun's out, it's hot, they're going to dry up. You're not going to make a difference, just leave them alone. He says, I'm going to make a difference for this one. I'm going to make a difference for this one. I'm going to make a difference for this one. I'm going to make a difference for this one. I'm going to make a difference for this one. If you knew how vile the world was when the church was born, 
It was terrible. Study history. Christians are not really tuned into history because it's so worldly, but we need to have a grasp of it. It was bad. Really bad. And yet the church shined as lights in the world. Amen. I have hope for the future in the midst of futility because I see God's hand at work. He's allowing it for a purpose so that people one at a time will get sick of sin and see, you know, somebody marrying the Eiffel Tower and they'll think, you know, if I don't change my ways, I'm heading that direction. And as a nation rejects God and the fear of God, it has to increase the number of its laws to keep order. Otherwise, you have anarchy. In 2006, fresh copy of the Code of Laws was published. And those books, if you buy them, they are 200,000 pages long. Come a long ways from two tablets and ten commandments. Or just 1,200 pages of my Bible. 1,200 and I think 56. Long ways. Without God, man has to have more laws to keep the order. But meanwhile, you cannot legislate morality. Things are just going to get crazy. More and more insanity happens. Take our guns away and people will be killing people with knives. That's what happened. So let me reiterate. My intention this morning is not to fuel anyone's anger, but to free us from the futile rantings and ravings of some, because it does no good, so that we can see our purpose and hope as citizens of God's eternal kingdom in this temporal world. What is our purpose and what is our hope? On Mars Hill, Paul stood in the midst of philosophers and idolaters, and he preached this in Acts 17. He said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, quote, to the unknown God, unquote. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. Now listen to this, Acts seventeen twenty six. He has made from one blood, can we say one blood? He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined... He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us. I'm going to finish the passage and then I'll go back to that verse 26. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own prophets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art or man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead." Why do I have hope for the redemption of my body? Because the Son of God, the first fruits, conquered death for me. And one day I've been promised I'll have a body like His. The man who gave me free forgiveness for my sins has promised me a free body for my eternal destiny. 
Verse 26 again. God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times. You may think you wished you lived in the first century, but God ordained you to live in the 21st century now. You are here for a purpose now. You may think you wish you lived in London or in Jerusalem or in Addis Ababa, but God determined you live here now. He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. You may think you have a neighbor from hell, but God sent him there so that you could be a light to him. He has determined pre-appointed times and boundaries for dwellings. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each of us. God's got it all in control, saints. He is not pulling strings to make people sin. He is simply cutting strings to let them sin so they come to an end of themselves. And you and I are on assignment. We're right where we need to be. Maybe He'll call you to move along somewhere else, but right now you're right where you're called to be, to be a light for His purposes. How can we have hope in a world when all seems futile? Know that Almighty God is not shocked by any of this. Oh my goodness, Gabriel, what are we going to do? No, He's not shocked. Also, no, He's not an American. He's Almighty God. Know that Jesus Christ died for all the sins of the world. All of them. Oh, he couldn't cover that one. No, he did. Know that we each have a purpose to which we are called. Tell yourself, I have a purpose. Know that the church is at its best when things are the worst. It's true. It's true. That's when we're the best. So better days are coming. Know that as things grow darker, light becomes more evident. Know that every one of us has been born for such a time as this. Know that as problems increase, we can all be a part of the solution. Know that having our own house in order is a priority, but not the end. It's important to have a strong marriage. It's important to have godly children. But that's not the end. That's a means to the end. To be a light to a dark world. Light that shines the farthest shines the brightest nearest home. So I can't be a minister to my neighbor if I'm out of order at home. Know that God is allowing such futility so mankind will begin to groan, turning up the heat. He has to let it be, otherwise, and every generation has had its own supply of groaning. Know that our redemption is nearer than ever, but it is still not yet. We look forward to it, but it's not yet. I have a friend who's a poet. His name is Peter Nevlin. And we were talking along these lines, and he sent me this poem by him. He read... Psalm 45, and while thinking about it, this came out of his soul. It's not a rap in that there's no repetition. It is just nonstop revelation. But in it, it's his struggle, his temptation with the world. How many is tempted? We're all tempted. The voice of temptation is calling him. The voice of God is calling him. His, His own voice is ranting and raving about the problems that are in the world. It's just this big mess. But he winds up in a place of hope. I hope you enjoy this. Something good, mm-mm-mm-mm. tell me that you like it, yeah, 
Who can show me good that lasts longer than tonight? The connection of bodies only ticks time bomb until dawn opens my eyes to Darfur, Rwanda, Uganda, the Congo, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, Bikini Atoll, oil companies, pollution, Wall Street, politicians, genocide, Afghanistan. I need more than a one-night stand. More than distraction, something stronger than the ache of injustice. I only know one person that big, and it is not Chuck Norris. So God, I want you to answer me. Not like Christmas carols snuggle my sweater. Not like chicken soup makes me feel a little better. You promised to surround me with so much goodness I can't make a mistake. Made my thoughts peace when the pressure of life stole my breath away. Erase the dark stains in my past. Make it last. Fill up my bucket with mercy, tenderness. I need you. Look at their worthless pursuits, whether it's power, greed, or slaves to abuse. Oppression haunts every nation on earth. The poor get trampled. Politicians line their pockets. Corporations rip off everyone. Religions tip their noses to the sky, choosing the preservation of godly standards over the rescue of the needy, the orphans, the hopeless. But if I'm honest, it's mostly about me. I'm tired of trying to be good, do enough, my reputation trampled in the mud while human traffickers sip champagne from the tiny hands of their newest conquest. His voice couldn't be softer. So strong it could rip the earth in half, but quiet, still. Don't you know who you are? Chosen by the poet who spoke the sparkle of the universe, rescued from an attempted murder before birth, I plunged myself into the insanity of your world just to listen to the beauty of your voice. Be still, so you can hear my heartbeat. Your emotions should rage at the injustice you see that makes you like me. Don't use it as an excuse for a binge, revenge, or a revolution where your intolerance gets justified by theirs. If I could claw out the blood from my veins, I'd ask for a fresh supply in exchange. My heart only knows how to pump hypocrite. Burn up this misplaced allegiance to myself, this misguided closet full of goody two-shoes. I'm plunging my trust into you, betting the farm on what your love can do, not just in me, but through me, in the way I accept even those who've mistreated me in the past. And when the seduction of cynical victimization looks at a tattered world and sings... Tell me something good, mm -mm 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 -mm. yeah. Tell me that you like it, ooh. Take the full power of the smile on your face and look at us. 
win us, overcome our fear, interrupt our excuses with the brightness of your eyes, the acceptance of your arms, the injection of new blood beating through fingers on these scarred and gnarly hands. I'm learning how to dance with more soul than Wall Street corruption can kill, more party than Republican or Democratic promises can fulfill, more rest than a memory foam mattress or an Overdose of sleeping pills. You're the only one whose voice plants gardens while the, while the rest of the world strip mines despair. You blanket your peace on my midnight and open my eyes every morning to hope. The biblical description of believers is that we are ambassadors. An ambassador is an agent representing a government in a foreign land. And we are an agent for the kingdom of God, representing the government of God in this foreign land. And there's needs in this land. There's things to do. I just found out the other day, 98% of the foster children in Hood County are being sent to other counties because there's such a need for foster parents as well as such a shortage right here in our county. That's just one example of someone that could step up to the plate and say, God, I, I'm going to explore serving you in that area. All kinds of areas like that will come your way. And... If you just view yourself as an American only and not as an ambassador for the sake of the kingdom of God, you'll miss out on opportunities. I want to say one other thing. If I haven't made you mad yet, this probably will. When I was 11 years old, I was in the car with my daddy and two missionaries downtown Monrovia, Liberia at night, and a policeman pulled us over and uh, said my, told my father he'd like to see his driver's license and that he had a taillight out. And my dad pointed out the fact that the squad car also had one out. <laughs> so the policeman let him go, but he took off with my dad's license. Well, if the policeman has your license, it's hard to get it back. So he got out and attempted to stopped the officer and said, hey, I need my license back. Two officers appeared out of nowhere, and there I am, 11-year-old, witnessed my father being knocked to the ground, handcuffed, and drug off till he disappeared. I freaked out. One of the missionaries in the car with me got in the driver's seat and drove straight to the embassy, and we were there for hours. And I'm traumatized, totally traumatized. All I could do was urinate. I was just freaking out. It was just running out of me like water. And finally, they secured my father's release. I don't know how long it was. It seemed like forever, just to a kid. And we went home, and it was like, boy, we're glad that part of our life is over, right? On Sunday morning, did my father get up and rant and rave about how his rights were violated by this government? No. We were there to be missionaries, to be lights for the kingdom of God to even be a light to the one persecuting us. Think about the commands of Christ. Many times when we are angry about our rights, 
we completely forget about his right to rule and reign in our hearts. Amen? He is for us, not against us. Romans 8.38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Say it again, say it again. 